Welcome, Spookboxers, to episode 20 of our film podcast dedicated to finding the weird in the 80 in cinema and streaming. If you're just joining us for the first time, the setup is this. Three housemates take it in turns to give our film pick of the week the theory treatment, all while hopelessly failing to conceal our dirtbag anarchist biases. <laughs> At the helm today is myself, Heather, and I'm joined by Connor. Hello. And Daph. What it do, nephew? And a barking dog somewhere <laughs> to tackle this week's film. Give it up, barking dog. <laughs> We're looking at sci-fi psychological horror Vivarium, directed by Lorca Finnegan and co-produced internationally by Ireland, Belgium and Denmark. So Connor and I watched this as a preview at a film festival last year, oh. but its wider release this March is definitely more appropriate, given that the film follows a couple of first-time home buyers played by Imogen Poots and Jesse Eisenberg, taken to a strange, bland housing development by an absurdly bureaucratic estate agent and finding themselves trapped in the labyrinthine suburbs, unable to leave. 2020, am I right? Absolutely. Right, lads. <laughs> what did you think? Well, who wants to go first? Um, Dav, be my guest. Be my guest. All right, well, so I watched it this morning um, and... Uh, yeah, I was I, I was really taken by the film. I, I'm a big fan of when relatively big movie stars like Jesse Eisenberg in this film, I guess, uh, takes on like a sort of smaller film, a smaller indie film. Um, most of my favorite films are like that. And yeah, it, it was really, really fun. It was it was like an especially good and expansive episode of Black Mirror. Um, and yeah. Hugely enjoyable, I thought. Really, really good. Great stuff. Um, I think going to see it at a film festival, you you sometimes might think that that might not make that much of a difference, but just seeing it with the the director there. Uh, oh, so you saw it with to, the director. And being able to ask those kind of questions directly, uh, you know, I think it puts a, puts a face to a name in a really healthy way. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. Right, okay cards out on the table i don't think i fully grasped that this was meant to be about an irish housing development like i mm -hmm. sort of got it an irish housing crisis and stuff like that but then when the director started speaking oh um... it's okay that you didn't get that in it because i don't think it's explicitly there Obviously, the director wanted that to be in his film, but the film has been interpreted by people as about the American suburbs. like, And because it was this co-production yeah. internationally, I think that they wanted it to have that efficacy in all different countries. Right. To, to be fair, I think you that... Know? I think that the, the whole sort of idea of a housing development, the idea did resonate with me because where I'm from, uh, we had a similar kind of boom, I guess, in the 70s, it would have been. Um, and while, you know, it doesn't necessarily have a reputation for being sort of um, spotless and kind of uh, solely the kind of reserve for sort of maybe young middle class, probably people, um, it doesn't necessarily have those kinds of connections, but I, I definitely didn't feel like it was too it was it wasn't too far away from my own experience of having seen these places pop up. Yeah. Right, but do we feel then that it was 
But you're saying so, okay, I was going to ask, is it only a British thing, this housing crisis? I don't know, because you were saying that you know, Americans have interpreted, interpreted it about the American housing crisis as well. But I don't know, are they stomping on our turf with that one? I, I would say that there's a lot of specificity in the housing crisis in Britain and Ireland that this film looks at. But undeniably there is what people call burbophobia in it which is which is probably more of an american phenomenon in cinema so it's it's all there for that reading to take place but i prefer the specifics um of reading it as a british european film yeah totally like shoot me i mean but this is these are not american houses these are you know a fifth of the size of an American yeah. house, right? Definitely, where's yeah. the pools? Yeah, where, no pools. where's the heated swimming pools? Where's the guns? Whoa, um, whoa. whoa. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, shall we do a wee plot summary then? I wanted to hear more specifically. I didn't get an impression of what Connor thought of the film. Oh, that's right. Fair enough. You dragged what, it out what, of me. What did you What did you think? And, unless you did don't I, want to give the was game. Was I away. trying to cleverly omit that by just talking random shit? Am I maybe? Just away the have I just given away the the podcast? Is that it? Okay, I I know I I feel like I say this every freaking episode we do. I didn't love it. Mm-hmm. There are some images from the film that I can't get out of my head. Yeah, but at the same time, I felt like there were maybe oh I don't know maybe one too many ideas. Uh, there was maybe a a happy ending that was that that was that could have been clearer or something there was a bit of character development that could have been clearer um i thought that Je- uh, jesse eisenberg's character uh tom tom yeah yeah tom mm-hmm. yeah um i thought that he well to be honest i thought that he was a bit of a prick <laughs> i think the, ca- the character was a prick how how quickly he goes from defiant about their situation to like an old grumpy tired man focused on his hole like so there is <laughs> on his hole. Well, well, i mean the one in the garden get your <laughs> minds out the gutter but actually maybe that's, that's like. the metaphor for his hole maybe he gets an interest in his prostate later in life oh that's a way more interesting read see i'm going in the myth of sisyphus route with him yeah. digging the hole but maybe it's him digging his literal hole <laughs> oh jesus <laughs> i mean <laughs> you guys have made me realize that i missed something there so thank you thank you so much i can um, feel such a deep twinge in my prostate right now this is i don't know <laughs> you can't talk about prostates um yeah you just can't talk about them yet I'm, well that's what this podcast is here for is to tablet. start conversations so Connor, I feel like I'm sitting on an egg now. I don't know. It's weird. <laughs> Connor's got rightfully got some concerns about and some my things prostate. You no, know yeah. about yeah. the film. <laughs> about what a way that could to, be... to give everyone the bad news. <laughs> no, to about some things that could be improved. I yeah, sure. I think he's right. But sure. let's do the plot summary and then we'll get into things a bit deeper. Okay. Great. So. Oh, by the way, should we should we announce that this is um, in terms of our usual setup, the audio quality this week might be uh, garbage and experimental. Like, yeah, 
Brian Eno, eat your heart out. Yeah. Um, but just to say, this is not our usual quality. We're usually much more professional than this, but we're actually on holiday in Ireland. In a suburban development, uh, helping Connor's mum move out of the suburbs. So it's certainly fitting. But the uh, the housing market in Ireland is actually going strong. We are a strong monetarily solvent people we have plenty of houses and if you're interested you should come and look around because there are many here we are not in a crisis situation at present people are snapping up the the suburbs here so yeah yeah it's lovely come look anyway covid who knew plot summary right so the film opens with a short clip showing the parasitic life cycle of cuckoos who lay their eggs in the nests of other birds once hatched, the cuckoo pushes the mother's bird young out of the nest. Yeah, not the mother bird itself. And is then tended to by the surrogate mother. By the end of the clip, the cuckoo is disturbingly larger than the mother bird and greedily eating all she has to offer. Young couple Tom and Gemma want to purchase a house. They visit a strange real estate agent, Martin, who tells them of a new development called Yonder. Gemma and Tom drive out to the development with Martin, where the houses there are identical suburban homes. The place is silent, empty and otherworldly. Martin shows the couple around house number nine and then mysteriously vanishes. Gemma and Tom attempt to leave yonder but become lost. Every route returns them to number nine. The car eventually runs out of fuel and they decide to stay the night only in number nine. The next morning... Tom climbs onto the roof to see if he can spot a way out of yonder. He sees that the houses of yonder seem to stretch into infinity. The couple decide to follow the artificial looking sun, hoping it will lead them out if they stay on course. The couple, however, is still led back to number nine every time. They find a delivery box filled with pre-packed food and other necessities. A furious Tom sets number nine ablaze, hoping to attract attention. The couple falls into a strange sleep and awake outside a rebuilt number nine to find a tiny infant with instructions that read, raise the child and be released. Three months have passed and the infant has rapidly grown to the size of a seven-year-old boy with an adult-like voice imitating Tom and Gemma's. He incessantly demands attention and closely observes and mimics the couple when he is not absorbed by strange patterns that play on the television. Living with the boy and their imprisonment takes a psychological toll on the couple. Their physical well-being also worsens. Tom discovers that the soil of yonder is made from a seemingly artificial substance. He starts to dig a hole and becomes obsessed. Digging, sorry, I'm just thinking about what we're saying. Digging a hole and becoming obsessed. Digging makes him feel as if he has a purpose, but the hole just gets deeper and deeper. Tom's big gaping asshole. (laughs) When he hears noises at the bottom of the hole, he continues digging. Tom, what's in there? It's yourself. After more time has passed, Gemma and Tom have grown weaker. The boy has grown into an adult. And Gemma and Tom reunite in their fear of him. The boy leaves the house every day and Gemma and Tom do not know where he goes. While digging, Tom finds a withered corpse in a body bag and afterward he weakens to the point of death. Gemma begs the boy to help and he provides them with another body bag. Tom dies and is flung into the hole. A vengeful Gemma attempts to kill the boy, but she only manages to injure him before he flees into a bizarre subterranean corridor. 
Gemma follows and tumbles through parallel homes where other young couples live lives of similar despair. Gemma is then spat back out into number nine. After a final act of verbal defiance, Gemma gives up. The boy buries her alive in the hole with Tom and leaves yonder. He then becomes an estate agent, replacing the original Martin, who has finished his life cycle. The new Martin rolls up his predecessor's body and places it into a filing cabinet before assuming his new position. Also staples a receipt to it. Staples a receipt to the body bag. (laughs) A new couple walks into the office and Martin rises to greet them. Got to have that bureaucratic element. Got to get the receipts. Mm -hmm. So... Straight in with his theory and Tom's hole, um, in his daily digging of the hole, can we interpret some meaning from the myth of Sisyphus? Or is the situation the couple find themselves in too subjugated and strange for this to apply? I'm happy to go for Ooh. it, Dav. Do do no, we... no, go for it, go for Just it. I want to hear the Sisyphean reading. Okay, you know, so... Kind of, yeah, see where it's going here. So yeah. when we're going... Sisyphus, we're talking about uh, Camus, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Okay, so um, uh, Camus wrote, one must imagine Sisyphus happy. Mm. Am am I right or am I wrong? Yeah, I think that was the general idea, that he was sort of, uh, you know, blissfully aware of a sort of absurd existence, maybe. But I suppose in this film, when you're trapped and subjugated and, well, aware, then you can't be happy with the daily task. Right. Is is that something that occurred to you guys? You, you occurred to yes, but uh, but I couldn't I couldn't neatly comfortably make sense of it. I think you're absolutely on the money here. This... I just think there's something right, and there's an awareness that he's trapped in their Tom's character, and they're in such a situation of um mm. despair and you know helplessness. There's no other option. So again, it's I suppose Sisyphus chooses to roll the rock. You could say that Tom chooses to dig the hole, but it's maybe literally the only thing he can do. So then it also comes to like lack of choice, lack of agency. The whole point is that your Sisyphean task is one of your choosing, but there seems to be no other option for them. He's also seen. I think I always I sort of read the the whole as well as 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 Tom uh, almost reenacting the kind of uh, social contract that the sort of man of the house has to leave the house yeah. in order to work, right? And and his work, um, whether it was his choice or not, was to dig that hole. He sort of you know gave himself that task to complete. Um, yeah, yeah, I feel, you know, gender definitely is playing a huge part in this film. And maybe there's something to do with like a sort of uh, a, 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 sis, the, the, the Sisyphean practice of gender roles. Maybe, you know, that we take on to some extent. You you can pick, you can choose. But at the end of the day, you need to just do something until you are set free, i.e. until you die, until you perish. Mm-hmm. And it is the 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 alien like um bureaucrats of this world that are in control of that whole process i mean a part of me felt like there was something about it that was almost too on the nose in that reading i think when we first saw the film heather um i tried really hard to find an alternative reading than just 
this is a kind of um, Ionesco or, you know, Harold Pinter-esque sort of absurdist metaphor for existence or existence within um, modern day consumer capitalism. I, but but I think that there's the gender roles in it or maybe the or maybe the more interesting thing for me, because you were saying that Tom has this choice within, you know, that he's choosing a Sisyphean task. I feel like Gemma's choice is equally Sisyphean, you know, and equally unsatisfying but also the only thing to be done her you mean her sort of you know enacting the role of the mother or attempting exactly. to enact the role of the mother i guess yeah yeah mm-hmm. i think that's a cool distinction though as well you know that that it is an attempt to enact roles mm-hmm. that that maybe you know that that there are myths that we embody and that we should maybe, you know, obviously. I, I actually, you made me think of something. I'm completely wrong. The whole point <laughs> of Myth of Sisyphus is that the the stone rolls back down. Oh. And mm-hmm. so he sees the, like, clarity of, of what he's achieved. He's rolled it up. He witnesses that. Um, and then he witnesses gravity taking it back down. But the hole actually doesn't fill up overnight it it remains dug and i think there's something different about that but then i think the repetitive aspect the stone the boulder falling down the hill if 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 you want is perhaps seen in in the sort of overall system this idea that all the people who are trapped in this kind of suburb have some kind kinds of repetitive routines perhaps or they go through a similar kind of ordeal but ultimately they all finish in the same exact way they said they finish with the sort of um with the child growing older eventually that's the end point that's the repetitive aspect that's the boulder falling down that's the it doesn't matter that the the hole is is not filled up do you see what i'm getting at yeah i do yeah yeah do you know this the whole thing has got me thinking about something um i read recently and what i read was actually a student essay um that's you know of of all the places to never ever get your inspiration i think um undergraduate student essays is probably source number one but um i i was inspired um because what they were writing about was uh the uh frankfurt school um adorno adorno and horkheimer I don't mm-hmm. know if that is the Frankfurt School now. Um, yeah, I thought that would have been Frankfurt yeah. School. Yeah. Um, so Adorno and Hork- Horkheimer's idea of the culture industry, mm-hmm. you know, very briefly, um, art does not exist f- for art's sake. Instead, you know, art is a completely unremovable aspect of kind of a, a capitalist system or, a, you know, a capitalist network of connections or yeah, something like that. You know, that's that's incredibly brief, um, the version of it. But, you know, within this film, um sorry what the student was saying first of all just to get this out of the way was that it's all well and good for us to criticize the um the culture industry and to try and imagine that people are brainwashed by uh culture and capitalism but you know at the end of the day somebody needs to make money you know you need Mm -hmm. to be able to pay for a burger and you know i don't totally agree Obviously, I would have liked to sat down with the student and have a bit of a longer conversation. But, you know, maybe there's something in that. Maybe there is some sort of a point. But, um, you know, looking at this film, there is something that's vaguely offensive about the, you know, about just how 
uh, how much repetition and and you know performative lives are really um you know almost patronizingly looked down upon within the film you know there there are those the few moments of kind of calm that the characters have like uh, tom's constantly you know returns to smoking a cigarette yeah yeah yeah, yeah. That's like one of his few pleasures in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the 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 small moments of calm um, and, and fulfillment that Gemma gets in brief periods of time within the film, when the alien child she's raising, she, you know, there are there are some small moments where she actually feels a kind of sense of fulfillment from the child. Yeah, and connection. Yeah, yeah. I think there there are like tiny moments of pleasure, but they're only ever deviant like the cigarettes have been brought in externally they managed to like jack the radio and and dance to a song they like because there's no music there's no art that the world has a lack of art and I think you could read that as a patronizing view of the suburbs as they are the suburbs don't have art or culture it's also like um, it's also sorry I think it, no worries I think it's meant to be a kind of like a dystopian view of the powerlessness of um, residence in in any kind of nationhood, like the idea that you have had a choice to have your art and your and your pleasures, they're only ever being more and more discreetly controlled and tweaked. What you can have access to mm-hmm. or, or what you can do, your freedoms basically. So I don't think that it's you know brutally saying the suburbs of no culture but I think that it's maybe saying that before we know it our access to our pleasures and freedoms will be continually restrained mm-hmm. yeah, I like that reading an awful lot but if I if I can just get back to the myth of Sisyphus question and kind of sort of give you guys both an insight into what my maybe main issue with the film was is that I feel like the film is suggesting by omission um, that there's that there's a way to live your life, a better way to live your life. But it's not present in the film, and I do have a question about that. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, absolutely. There, there's well, I actually don't think there's a gesture of the the better way. I I think the problem is that it it isn't suggesting there's a better way. It, mm. it it's it's absolutely declaring that there's an awful way but I don't even think it suggests a better way because I wouldn't say that there's um a lot of joy or pleasure in the beginning of the film either right so that's but, kind but of we'll, my we'll I'm bringing my own that. baggage to the part film. of yeah go on what do you think about that Daph like the the idea about part the, of my issue watching the film was I think so we're basically, I feel, I feel like it's a very, Im, it's such an imperfect allegory, basically, in the mm-hmm. sense that it's condescending to sort of life in the suburbs, the idea that they're sort of devoid of culture. And I mean, you know, a lot of the time, the kind of lives that the, the film is trying to sort of tell us are sort of empty and kind of bereft of meaning. A lot of those times, th- th- those are the cultures that produce, you know, popularity in, in certain kinds of bits of culture at least they they sort of you know they're the ones who buy music they they can afford to buy music they can afford to go to the cinema they can afford to do all of this sort of stuff i think that we're doing the wrong thing in trying to sort of neatly allegorize this film i think what it is is that i i mean i think you have to almost go into sort of law territory territory l-o-r-e territory the idea that 
the alien bureaucrats that are sort of controlling this area have misunderstood what humans want and what what you know what kind of thing will draw humans into the area because clearly they need the humans for some reason they they sort of derive some kind of force from them or they sort of need them to rear their young or something like that mm. and they've sort of misunderstood the idea of suburbia basically interesting yeah i i like that idea a bit but if you bring in an uh, you know an in-text an in-text only um cinema sins reading of this film yeah uh i'm gonna i'm gonna um sign off the call um, why why is that you're all about just look at the text no, i mean yeah we maybe we need to talk about aliens more and look, cuckoos maybe look. we should only be discussing aliens and cuckoos but unfortunately i haven't prepared any alien or cuckoo questions if this becomes the wiki fan the the the, the fandom wiki version of vivarium discussion yeah yeah no yeah, as you guys know i've been preparing a video on bioshock for the last three months yeah. and um the amount of times that i've got fallen down rabbit holes going like uh, you know finding out that um andrew ryan's favorite breakfast food is porridge or whatever is like that is not thematically relevant but i i i do think you are correct though i think you can get I think if you go down the allegory route, which is what I was talking about earlier with the kind of is this just absurdism mm-hmm. um, a la like Ionesco or something, um, yeah. you know, I think that the film is very unsatisfying. I think, yeah, I agree. More satisfying when you focus on that metaphor at the beginning of the film, that idea that, you know, um, hey, aren't cuckoos weird? Yeah. You know, maybe the whole film is just about how weird cuckoos are. I'm okay with that. Essentially, yeah. Essentially, it's just a sort of the the grander allegory is perhaps you know a sort of cruelty in nature or something of one species encroaching on another's territory or something like that. Well, yeah. before, a parasitic mm, presence, I guess. Well, before we go too far away from bureaucratic structures, yeah. Um, I have a Kafka question. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um. So. <laughs> is that kafka with a kafka with a k and question with a k right we need to make this a recurring segment you know heather's kafka question here it comes um always relevant still relevant still relevant so i was thinking about kafka obviously because me but also yeah this film and how the suburbs are impossible to escape once tom and Gemma arrive but also maybe in the wider sense that this could apply to the inescapability of moving to the suburbs in the first place, given how young home buyers are priced further and further from desirable, non-homogenised homes. Um, I think if Kafka had been alive today, he definitely could have written this film. But have we seen this kind of point before about the bureaucratic... Uh, circular logic of consumer capitalism and was there something novel about this film to you and I guess you've already kind of said to me the cuckoos like (laughs) but um just given that get if we if we read it within that like Kafka structure and we read it as a critique of overly bureaucratic societies um, I mean, I think that's all there if you look at how estate agents are portrayed 
as aliens if we read it as an allegory yeah um you know what was there something new in it for 2020 i mean the aesthetic's also quite retro Mm. Well, sort of. It's it's retro over time. I think that's a, that's a really good question to ask about this film. And I, I definitely, I have got a um, a yes answer to that. I think there is something novel about this. And I think that the comparisons actually can help you just to sort of figure out what the, the kind of nuanced take is of this film. Um, you know, if we compare this to Gogol, compare this to um, Ionesco, as I keep saying, or to uh, 1984 or, you know, anything where... What's Ionesco saying moves lips close to Mike? (laughs) (laughs) Do you you want me to go over that point or... Yeah, yeah, make your lips like on the mic and tell us Ionesco's hot take. Oh, well, no. Because we need to hear it. Just Ionesco's hot take is basically, hey life is weird you know why would you know why is it that we wear a tie wouldn't it be weird if there was a rhinoceros in a in an office building and why isn't it weird and why doesn't it happen he's just you know absurdism right um but the absurdism of like human produced bureaucracy yes no more the absurdism of um I've just yeah you know it's pure absurdism it's it's you're focusing on why is it that we follow routines why is it that we adhere to culture why is it that we do things um by the book instead of doing the next mental thing that crops into our into our head and I think you know ah oh, catch 22 things mm. like that where you know where you're asking questions about the patterns that human beings repeat mm. really resonates with this film but the difference with this film is that instead of saying um you know as in as in 1984 where there's uh you know a sinister overarching governmental um cabal that have got vested interests in their actions um you know with this film it you know what they're trying to say is that there's this other force at work somewhere in the background you know that there's somewhere beyond comprehension really Yes, mm-hmm. but but there is there's something pulling the strings, but it's um you know but it's it's beyond our ability to to to, to grapple with, and mm. I I kind of hate that. I actually preferred. There's a really good South Park episode where the boys try to uh, find out where a bola tie. Uh, that their grandfather bought was made and they end up going all around the world and going to India and going to China and seeing, you know, technology reclamation places and stuff like that. And they keep looking for the, you know, the sinister cabal that's in charge of the whole thing. But in the mm. end, what we see is that, you know, capitalism and consumerism is a is a is a circle. You know, it's it's this kind of it's it's an almost biology thing. And I guess people might criticize that by saying, well, if there's no one to blame, then, you know, if there's no one to blame, then whose fault is it? Are you just saying go back to sleep with this film? Maybe it's still trying to say there is somebody to blame and there's a bit of hope with that. But I think it would have been I think there's there's some I think there's a more complex version of this movie. It feels a tiny bit incomplete to Mm. me. And I know that's really on, you know, look, hey, could I have made this film? Absolutely not. It's a a gorgeous film. And I think really close to genius. But it, it was just 
I wasn't too, I wasn't too sure. You know, I'm not too sure what it was I was trying to say. I think that's it. There's just a difficulty in being sure of, of what it's trying to say, and and with that confusion, it, it leaves it open to being read against its own um, achievements. You know, right. honestly, I think that there's something. If we're talking about nuance, one of the things that were a real sticking point for me, and this isn't just because I write about music, but I, there, there are three there's, a, there's an original soundtrack for this film but there's also three licensed songs for this film uh there's mm. a message to you rudy by the specials yeah did you notice i just said that as the way they sing it in the song a uh, message to yeah. you rudy um <laughs> uh there's shantytown by desmond decker both um both sort of ska well well i mean a message to you is a ska song but a two-tone song desmond decker's is a rock steady song and then the last song, the final song in the film, uh, "Complicated Game" by XTC. Um, I think I think those songs are very deliberate. And for me, the only song that was really missing from the film, if you were going to make it really on the nose, was uh, "Once in a Lifetime" by Talking Heads. That was one of the things oh, that yeah. kept resonant, kept coming back to me as I was watching this film. Absolutely. When I was watching uh, Tom dig that hole, I kept thinking about how. In the lyrics in that song, there's a line that's like, you may find yourself in a beautiful house with a beautiful wife. The idea that these narratives about sort of men suddenly waking up in suburbia, having wondered where their life went, as being generally a kind of a narrative about men and that there aren't very many narratives about women, perhaps, in those sorts of situations like what about the beautiful wife like where did she come from what's her story what's her role in this yeah um i think the choice of songs as well both two of them are from 1979 um and then another one is from 1967 so i i do think there's some something there there's some kind of significance for these songs having been released in that period of time and especially the fact that it's a film um do we know if it was in Northern Ireland or in Ireland in Republic Ireland? Ireland in the Republic. Yeah. Um, there is something about a kind of post-war commentary kind of thing in those songs, I think. The idea that suddenly, you know, social contracts sort of change at that period and... Uh, new housing developments emerge in the in in the, in the UK and Ireland, and these songs coming after that as being one of the songs is about settling down, another song is about uh, people, um, basically you know rebels, outsiders, violent outsiders. Another song is about being a tiny pawn in a complicated game beyond mm. your kind of comprehension. I think there is something there. I'm not sure what it is. I'm probably going to keep thinking about it. But yeah, I um, really want to jump on that with you. I completely yeah. agree with you. Um, but I think what you're unearthing is what, yes, what you're unearthing is my issue with this film. I don't actually, I think there's an aesthetic to it that is really appealing. Mm-hmm. That's maybe the 2020 thing that you're asking, Heather, you know, what is the novel thing about this film? I think it was that wonderful sequence where the alien it manages to to clamber their way through a multiverse. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like as much as I loved that sequence, you, the, the man is walking in that almost inception like, um, you know, moving corridors 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people are dropping throughout when the scene. When Gemma and stuff. is like falling through all the layers. Yeah. 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 Chasing after him. You yeah. Know? Um, I loved that sequence so much. That was brilliantly mm-hmm. done. But I feel like all that they were really trying to say was that within this multiverse, if it, that's maybe too um, too far of a reach to say, but but that there are so many people in a similar situation that this is something that everyone feels is kind of exhaustion and you know mm-hmm. um, feeling a, a a lack of purpose and a lack of calling. And then so tying that together with what you're talking about, Dav, which you mm-hmm. know. We, we could relate that to Zizek living in the end times or to Francis Fukuyama end of history in the last man that, you know, we are in a post history um, era of life where we mm-hmm. are no longer, you know, we are no longer great men. We are no longer great creators. We are no longer, um, you know, revolutionaries uh, in the sense of, we can like, no longer even do what we want really. Like it doesn't, ultimately it doesn't matter what we do. Yes. Do you know? Yeah. But but here's my mm -hmm. problem. But I'm more interested in what you have to say, Heather, than my own thoughts. So I I know what I'm going to say. But why don't you tell me what you were going to say first? Well, I had another question that's maybe relevant, but I feel like we've kind of touched on it enough. Just the idea that like they move in line with these social expectations um, and end up living this like soulless existence. And... um, you know, the fact that the movie doesn't really gesture to an alternative. But I wonder if it's not that kind of film and that it's expressing just disappointment with certain developments as opposed to making any uh, alternative apparent. But the, the thing that I'm wondering is that, like, I think that there's still a massive hangover for people in clarifying that there's no such thing as the soul and it's just that it's a more complex thing our consciousness but basically you know the idea of how your own life then plays out in in line with understanding yourself more as as a computer um because that's the sort of like metaphor we have for consciousness now and have since like the 80s um is is a disappointment to people like they maybe there's maybe a nostalgia or or loss still in the fact that there's nothing magical about being a person who's born and dies like that you're more of a computational yeah um, yeah yeah you see I... element in something bigger that's a disappointment to people like because there's a lack of like culture and creativity in their lives like I wonder if that's relational to like discoveries that um you know just there, there's a void exactly. there's a void of like I think that that's what you're what what the film is trying to get at is like don't we all agree that just being a cog in the machine is awful that 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 just being something as you're saying almost computational doesn't everyone agree this sucks mm-hmm. and i feel like look it's maybe my own baggage i think it's a really good point that there's nothing within the text to show you a better way to live your life but for me the artist is saying the really nice way um, actually the really nice way to live your life is actually just to make films 
and um, <laughs> to just sort of travel around and, you know, make low budget independent movies you know, with um, really cool yeah. stars. I couldn't um, help. So I, so I watched an interview with, with, with the director and I sort of couldn't help but think that as he was speaking about, you know, meeting up with Imogen Poots in London and talking about the script. And I thought, well, the life that you believe is sort of empty doesn't seem like the kind of like life that you would be having. It doesn't seem realistic exactly. that you would and, be living this life, fuck right? that, man. You know, because I think it's such an illusion. I think that that was when Francis Fukuyama wrote End of History and The Last Man, and we thought that it was we were living in the end his, of history, and we thought that life was basically just going to be reruns. Um, you know, that was a period in time when the World Wide Web had just been created, where you know, unified inf- distribution of information was still very much um, the 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 main way people got their news. There, there was still a central unified narrative to life, and that's when a film like this, I think, would have felt most resonant in the you know the early nineteen um, the early nineteen nineties, the late nineteen eighties. Mm. Um, you know, whereas now I don't think this film feels like something I can empathize with. It's not something I identify with because whether it is, you know, perhaps what we are engaged with is actually just simply, you know, a form of, you know, slacktivism by being involved online and, you know, clicking in parts of things. You know, you could say that digital activism Mm -hmm. or activism in the digital age is more lip service than anything else. But again, fuck that. This year alone, we have seen a million people take place in a, a march in Hong Kong on a single day. And that was prompted in no part by people's technological uh, being, you know, that people were able to communicate on a technological forum. That's what allowed people to protest in such huge numbers, you know. Mm-hmm. And then we've seen the the huge uh, riots for Black Lives Matter um, for, you know, both of the of the big, um, you know, police brutality, you know, obviously police brutality is something that is happening in a continued form, which is why the Black Lives Matter movement has to, has gathered so much uh, steam. But, you know, there have been two monumentous occasions that have prompted Black Lives Matter's protests this year within America mm-hmm. and elsewhere. And they have caused days and days of of violent riots. We are not living in the end of history at all this is not what life looks like for most people yeah i don't think life is that boring in 2020 this has been the the spiciest year (laughs) yeah and it's important then that um you know he chooses not to give tom and Gemma access to their internet anymore and i think that all of these decisions are very thought out that the house has no media um there's no chromecast like and i feel like he's he's trying to make the point the true horror yeah without our devices this is what our lives would look like like we're basically just using them as pacifiers so like what would you say to that 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 the media is a pacifier that our i guess our our activism our culture and our pleasure that all takes place online and through connectivity, were that not to be available, there would be nothing there at all in our lives. Okay, but would that be a good thing or a bad thing do you, within the scope of this film? Oh, I think he's making the case that mm-hmm. we are 
distracted maybe yeah because I, it's almost that like because, because tom and Gemma are fighting against what seems to be within this film's universe like the the true source of evil these these aliens right yeah and so because mm. there's no distractions they can they can see they who's... can see it yeah right you see, but then to me, this is what I'm saying about that South Park episode. I think when when we start this, this film actually might be kind of totalitarian or fascist in its outlook. You know, I think when we when when we believe there is one true enemy. Yeah. And then if only we could get in touch with the one true enemy, then then we take the responsibility away from complex systems in which we are engaged every day with every action, you know. I think what this film... What the great mistake of this film is to imply that human beings have no agency. Yeah. Because our agency is actually so crucial to everything that's going on on the planet right now. And that's something we need to wake up to, is that our agency can have massive impacts, like collectively. But if you think that you have no agency then we're on our way to a big fireball. Wake you know? up, sheeple. So I don't know, like maybe there <laughs> there is a problem there, like um but to be I don't know. Do you think be, that we Yeah. To be generous, I still believe that <laughs> I, I still believe that I think there's something significant about the fact that Tom and Gemma are not interested in the house even remotely at all in the film. Even when they're being shown around the place, they're saying, you know, Tom says, let's get the fuck out of here, basically. It's like, Mm. we would never live here. This is not something that we desire. I still think that that's what the film is saying, that the aliens have some kind of outdated, outmoded way of entrapping people, basically. Mm -hmm. That they're still going off a kind of model you know the desirable the desirable uh home in the nice in the in the quote-unquote nice suburb with the sort of the sort of fordist model really jobs yeah, but, that kind of thing but but, but like so, so i think that that's that's to be generous to the film i think yeah yeah that perhaps you know it, it's not it's not generous enough to say that it's it's a film that that has some kind of greater statement about the way we live our lives i just think that Maybe it is just a film about aliens. <laughs> I mean, I think that <laughs> the, the is. issue is, right, is that um, barbophobia. Yeah. The the idea of a nice, comfortable, manicured home was the biggest oppressor to the boomer generation. Yeah. And yeah. that this film made by someone who's a Gen Xer, who yeah. maybe grew up on like barbophobia films and, and thinks that they're cool, doesn't have any of the nuance of what a generational angst particular yeah. to his generation maybe would be because he's replicating the burbophobia films mm-hmm. and then this is a film being viewed in large part by millennials i would say who yeah like worse things happen at sea maybe than mm-hmm. having a, yeah. a roof over your head. Exactly. This I don't know. Is my issue. But I did find the film terrifying. So I don't know whether I'm just saying this for argument's sake because I I would hate to be trapped in yonder. Like I actually think that any kind of situation I can think of that could happen situation. to me would situation would be preferable to being trapped in like 
a banal like monopoly labyrinth. Really? Yeah. Uh oh. <laughs> but a lot of the big critics, like big, maybe <laughs> made a up. bad investment then. <laughs> a lot of the big established critics, um, who yeah, I didn't read any reviews of this film. actually. What were they saying? What was, was the general anything or anything like that? I think so, and I think there was um a guy for the Guardian, I forget his name. Probably um, Mark Kermode. It's not Kermode. It was Bradshaw. But oh, right. I think Bradshaw, but they they're all boomers and and they like <laughs> and and they think that the film is derivative and and is using this like well worn by now trope of the derivative is right. yeah I would agree but it's um, very outdated. Is um, it possible that they feel this way because they've achieved full resource accumulation and they love the burbs now? Whereas when they were younger, they were like, ah, that's so scary. And they Is were they were like the happy like... generation. And then they're now like, yeah, yeah, you guys need to get over it. Like now that they've got all their wealth, they're like, oh, shut up, youth. The burbs are great. Like, is there something of a generational misunderstanding with this film? Um, And also, is, is there like a nuance in like not all suburbs are made equal? Like. Gemma and Tom have the starter home and maybe it's so sparse and unappealing because they have less wealth and they're just starting out. Maybe there's also a multiverse of um, yonders with deluxe deluxe uh, <laughs> accessories. So With the pool, right? Like, are we right to maybe reassert burbophobia and, and say that it's just as real as it ever was and that the boomers have just became de-radicalized like I, I don't what know. do you what do you think i i think that there's something in there definitely but i'll admit look i love the burbs man what? i i love any roof over my head any your dryness. alien probe is is hanging out right now <laughs> <laughs> um the Put thing, that back. <laughs> the thing for me is, and I think we've all experienced this in 2020, it, it doesn't matter where you live. You know, our existence is, we are more connected now than ever. It doesn't matter if you're in the burbs, because you're not really in the burbs. Your brain, your heart, your soul, your intelligence is is connected to things far larger than yeah, you are. Yeah, but maybe this film is ecological, and it's saying that you're taking that connectivity for granted, and some larger force than us which in this film is aliens were to take that away you would have nothing so you can't just rely on um like this digital connectivity well no i think it's not that you can't rely on digital you see because when you say that it's to me still sounds a little first worldy right because this year we've also seen within india and china um well, sorry, which I mean to say within areas of Hong Kong, um, we've seen tactical digital shutdowns where the Internet has been, as they say, switched off for they periods someone of time. Someone the switch. <laughs> yeah, someone just sort of shut that off. The big button, they pressed it. The, the big, the giant router. Yeah. Um, you know, we've, we've seen that happen this year several times. And so it's it's not that we shouldn't rely on digital connectivity and instead we should, you know, reconnect with Mother Earth or something. I think it's more important that we have to understand that digital connectivity is absolutely 
worth fighting for worth worth okay no i'm not gonna say the next part because then it goes worth fighting for worth dying for and that's <laughs> totally nuts that's beyond the remit of this podcast. Yeah, so. we're gonna have to wrap it up because we have visitors in in the suburbs. Um, oh shit! Okay, so to wrap this up, then any final thoughts? Anything we managed to skip over that you guys feel that we have to mention? Oh, have to mention? I don't know. I I think I think I well, one thing I will say about the film is I thought that the it was very nice to hear "Complicated Game" by XTC be the mm. uh, <laughs> end credit song to a film. That made me very mm. happy um otherwise i don't know like keep at it (laughs) keep keep, keep going keep going good good effort i think ultimately i i did i did enjoy watching the film but i think talking to you guys about it today i think it's made me sort of reassess uh exactly what it was perhaps trying to say and i think ultimately it was sort of it rung a bit hollow in, in that regard i think i think i think there's a possibility there is a possibility that we have on misunderstood this film, you know, with I am trying so hard to figure out what the thematic through point is between cuckoos stealing nests mm-hmm. and the shutdown of, of mass mass urban housing. Um, you know, it, it's possible that the filmmaker is pulling his hair out at the lack of understanding of this film. Yeah. Having said that, I think we're on the money. And I think if we are on the money, it is an outdated metaphor. It doesn't mm-hmm. reflect how it feels to be alive in 2020 when everything is so active and and people are so passionate. You know, people are dying for for activist reasons on every corner of the political spectrum. You know, mm-hmm. um, you might not like all of the stuff that's happening out there, but, you know, I, I, I don't know who feels that life is slipping them away as they work a nine to five job and go home and repeated patterns. Everybody's fired. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. 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 It makes you wonder what the next slew of sort of, you know, COVID inspired, co- I, I want to say COVID era inspired films will look like. Yeah. They're going to um, look like host. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I suppose so. Yeah. All right. So um, just, just need to thank people, I guess. Do we? Who be thanking? Well, I got a lovely message on Facebook this week from a new listener. Thank you so much for finding the podcast. Um, we've oh. had some lovely people talking to us on Twitter, including filmmakers, um, saying thank you for for making the podcast and, and oh, right, and, yeah, tweeting. Yeah, yeah. Um, within this movie, there's the message that digital culture is the only thing giving your life not only meaning but pleasure. So as a online podcast, you must like and subscribe to us you because must. otherwise, like you're, you know, how did you get there? So <laughs> we're gonna deliver body is bags. That good? To your yeah. <laughs> otherwise, you're just digging a hole. Otherwise, digging your hole. Digging your hole. Thanks very much. Make sure much. you listen to us while you dig your hole. Yeah. 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 Thanks, In everybody. Thanks. Glad for your opinions. We love you. Bye. Bye. Bye.